we'd like to welcome you back to part four of our teaching. And our I'm, I'm probably this is probably going to be a mega study on the whole alien uh, disclosure agenda exposed and all of the various facets of that. The next one, another listener comment from a longtime listener, and it is on this giant. Um, the giant of Kandahar, Afghanistan, which I mentioned in the last teaching, which L.A. Marzulit also did a an audio on and is on his Watchers 10, but you can hear uh, pretty much most of the interview here uh, in the link that I'm going to provide here. L.A. Marzulit has re- released his trailer on the 10th Watcher series. It shows him interviewing a U.S. soldier who witnessed a giant coming out to kill their team. You can watch it here. And this is my listener, Matt. And it's the Giant of Kandahar, Afghanistan, episode 18. I'll give you the link there. It's amazing how your teaching came right at the same time that Spielberg's BFG, Big Friendly Giant movie, is making headlines with its Kane's premiere. I skimmed through an old 70s, 80s animated version of BFG, Big Friendly Giant, and it showed how this good giant who kidnaps this little girl, which is the same as the Spielberg trailer, helps the military fight against all the bad giants toward the end. The giant also has magical powers as well. Nothing like preparing the masses for the fearful reality and deception. And remember, one of the big main aspects of disclosure is going to be good cop, bad cop. It's going to be, oh, we're the good aliens, we're the good giants, we're the good devils, and these ones are the bad devils, and we're going to help humanity fight against the bad devils because we're your really only hope to do that when the reality is, is yes, while they may all have their own agendas, they're all on the same demonic satanic team. That's something you have to understand. And there's no good aliens and these people that get abducted and oh, the Nordics abducted me and they're good and they want to bring you in. Is that why they're so bent on, on making sure that we know that the Bible is not the word of God and that Jesus Christ isn't who he says he was? They all have the same brainwashing agenda. And it's always about discrediting the word of God. Whether they're Nordics, whether they're Greys, whether they're reptilians, whatever. They're all on the same satanic team. okay? But they're playing good cop, bad cop, essentially. Um, I have a comment, and basically, you know, it's Genesis 6, 4, and 5. And there were giants, Nephilim, in the earth in those days, what they know as day. And also after that, remember, also after that, it says, just not Noah's day, when the sons of God came in and the daughters of men, and they bare them children, the same became mighty men, which were men, uh, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Whereas, and in Matthew twenty four thirty seven. Jesus Christ speaking, but as the days of Noe were, or Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, again, I, I know I've said that too before. Now, this is pretty amazing here. Uh, listener that goes by Exodus emailed me this, and he says, Have you seen this video yet? The guy says he found giants on the street near the Giza pyramids on Google Earth. Okay, play this. And again, this isn't something that, like, he just found this by accident. It's not like somebody put it up there and and was trying to get hits. He found this by accident. Okay, now I'm going to play this, and I give you a picture of this in this PDF that will blow your mind. Okay, guys, this one's kind of bizarre. I got you over here in Egypt. I was just looking at the Great Pyramids in Giza, right there. Today's June 15, 2016. For some reason, I was led over here west of the pyramids to these communities. And to be honest, just real quick, I want to point something out. I've kind of scoured over most of these communities out here, and they look like something you'd see out of the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I mean, look at that. They're just buildings, and it almost seems like they're these, these very nondescript, uniform buildings it looks like something you'd see on the surface of the earth or, or the moon or something no foliage no vegetation just buildings like out in the middle of the desert very very strange is what people he's... can't possibly be living in those things but there's hundreds of them scattered all out through here and they're all very uniquely designed and uh, laid out but there's no signs of life so to speak i mean 
there's no trees, no grass, no water, no signs of electricity or communication. Um, it's just kind of weird. But anyway, um, oh, and I've seen these things kind of scattered all over the place. They look like backwards ones, one of three each, just sitting around here and there. I found about six of them, but that's not what actually... Okay, so he's on Google Earth, and he's going, zooming in and coming out and showing you all the stuff that he's talking about to validate what he's saying. Led me here. Um, well, actually, it kind of was, but ultimately it led me to this. Check this out. This area here looks a little more inhabited. You can see signs of live trees, and, um, streets, actually see some cars. So kind of looks like people are living here. And when I say people, I mean people. Check this out. See that? What do you see wrong with that picture? It says Dolce Bakery. And what do you see? He's clicking on a street view of this. It's called Dolce Bakery. Okay, and this is the view Google Earth gives. This one random spot right outside the Giza pyramids. Okay, and I blow this, I found a picture online of this blown up in its very, very high detail, and I post it in the PDF. This is going to blow your mind when you see this. Highly encourage you to look at my PDF, if nothing else, just to see this one picture, because it will blow your mind. Are those the guys that built the Giza Pyramids? Now, what you're seeing on here is the picture I have on the PDF, except mine, you know, online, you're, you're losing a little bit of, um, the video, you're losing a little bit of clarity. But these are two different giants, <laughs> looks like they're almost dressed in street clothes, walking on the street. There's other people around that are of average height, and there's one giant on one side of the street and one giant on the other, and, they're, and it looks like they're walking toward each other where this ever this dolce bakery is and it looks very very legitimate holy crap look at sorry about that i didn't anyway I, I can't stand it when people combine the word holy with you know that it's ridiculous that that's no bakery they're showing you a picture of two giant men look at this i'm gonna take you in a little closer this is a screenshot. We're going to zoom in on it. Watch. Look at that. Yeah. That man's waist is at the top of that car. It's over the top of the car. That guy's eight foot tall. And not only is there Every one, bit. there's two. I think this guy over here is taller than him. Whoa. Eight or nine Talk footers. Turn of the Anunnaki. There you go. He's right there. There's one of them. There's the other one. That man is huge. I don't care what anybody says. That guy is big. He's got to be eight or nine feet tall. And not only is there one. As it were in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Are we seeing this manifestation now? Overt manifestation in places where the media is, is tightly controlled. Where, you know, maybe this is commonplace to see this in certain parts of the earth, but we're not privy to it. There's two? I mean, what are the odds? That guy there is a massive man. And there they both are. Walking towards each other from opposite sides of the same street. In a town next to the Giza Pyramids. Those guys are giants. I don't know. I, I, that were most likely built by giants, the Giza pyramids, because they've done, you know, the, the, those stone blocks, there's just no way. There's no way that they had slaves move these stone blocks from, you know, I don't know how many miles away. It just, it, it would not work. It would not work. They're too massive. It's built with too much precision. It doesn't make any sense. But if giants were involved, it would make sense. And you see this type of architecture wherever you see giants predominate. Like uh, Belback is another place where, you know, the tolerance of these, of these blocks that weigh, you know, sometimes hundreds of tons are just, they fit together where you couldn't slide a piece of paper in between them. It's technology that we don't even possess to this day. And yet it was commonplace in antiquity. Never seen this before. I just happened to run across it. I wasn't looking for it. But there they are. Wow, talk about return of the Anunnaki gods. 
Uh, looks like they're here, guys. Looks like they're over here in Egypt, and they're by some bakery next to the Giza Pyramid. They like baked goods. I mean, I think that's what we can determine. They're, they're big on bread. They're big on rolls, croissants. Probably the cinnamon rolls are what is, you know, pulling them in. I mean, can you blame them? There you have it. Those men are absolutely massive. So, I'll post <laughs> the coordinates if you want to come check it out. Uh, it's 2955, uh, actually, yeah, 2956, 3055. It's on street number 8, the Dulce Bakery. But they're not at the bakery, they're out in the street. Oh, there it is, 6th of October City. I'll put all the information in the uh, description box, but a couple of giant men roaming around over near the Giza Pyramids. <laughs> Unreal, man. Thanks for watching, guys. Okay, so we have that. And again, you see other people in comparison. Granted, the other people are not like like walking with them, but you do have comparisons. You have cars there. You have other things that you can compare to, and it's something, something looks very, very, very off. And I, the picture I've got in this PDF is you're gonna is as good of a picture as you're gonna see. I mean, these things are. It looks like their waist would be over an average car. Okay, so you know how high an average car would be. That's where their waist would be over. That's how tall these things are. So anyway, give you that. So now we're going to get into, I believe this is the last part, and um, about seven more pages, on the Conquistadors' Encounters with Giants. And um, this is very, very insightful because I'm ending this because we've, we've started the subject of giants and now I'm going to end with this so we can understand how common in antiquity when the conquistadors first came here, it was for them to encounter giants. It was a matter of fact thing back then and it was documented by different conquistadors over and over and over, okay? And that was their job, is to not only explore, but to document what they found. And this is done, and by a lot of these names you're going to recognize, but this has been kind of wiped out of the modern day, let's say, history books that you would get in the public school systems. But this information, if you dig, you can find this and find that, you know, this was common knowledge back then. So this starts out by saying, after a failed invasion of northern Florida, the Spanish conqueror and explorer Pen Penfilo de Navarez retreated back to port with a ragged bunch of restless men. More than half of his platoon had either been killed by savage Florida jungles or were picked off by killer native attacks. Supplies had vanished and when Navarez returned to the harbor, he discovered that his ships had all but disappeared. Returning to Cuba without him, he ordered the construction of four large rafts and told his fellow soldiers that this is where the new Spain ends. It is not known for certain whether, where and when Navarrez died. The rafts took off for Cuba but were destroyed in a hurricane. About 30 men survived the sinking of the rafts, but Navarrez was never among them. Cabez de Vaca, the remaining Spanish and the remaining Spanish survivors washed ashore near modern-day Tampa Bay. They quickly formed an expedition to reach a Spanish settlement in Mexico and regroup there, thinking it was only a few miles away. But then, after a series of battle with hostile natives, they ended up rafting their way into southwestern Texas, traveling west along the Colorado River. Um, De Vaca and the survivors of the ill-fated expedition became the first Europeans to see a bison or an American buffalo. De Vaca returned to Spain nine years later and published his story. It was the bestseller of its time. In it, there are references to conquistador encounters with giants. De Vaca's astounding tales mention an encounter with giants, giant natives during a raid while in Florida. Now, listen, Florida's where I came from. I've got into this many, many times just from the area where I was from. Um, and the Calusa Indians that were very, very predominant. You, you want to know more about this key in the word Okeechobee. 
in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. And there's mounds that have been discovered, you know, around Okeechobee where there were giant skeletons. There, there's um, islands in Okeechobee where there's just filled with bones. I mean, even to this day you go and you can see bones sticking up. There's areas in Okeechobee where when the water gets low during certain times of drought where literally you can look across certain parts and it looks like a pumpkin patch with all the pumpkin patches with all the skulls that are sticking out through the muck and these are first-hand accounts going all the way back into the early 1900s even back further okay so um it's a hotbed area for that and they've also have mounds where there's unusually small skeleton figures and when the calusa indians were first discovered or, or seen a lot of the um people that have saw them like ponce de leon and them described them as unusually large so that particularly the area where i'm from southwest florida had a very very high history and i think you go from okeechobee to all the way to below naples all the way up to tampa bay had a very very large history of giants in those areas there were there were giant bones that have been unearthed and are still being unearthed but again it's always downplayed swept up by the smithsonian institute they always have this agenda because it doesn't fit into the darwinian narrative okay so i just wanted to kind of throw that in there uh let's go further here um so when they washed up in shore near tampa bay they quickly formed an expedition um and um okay but i'm getting that's, i've already said that it was a bestseller of its time in it there are references to the conquistador encounters with giants devaca's astounding tales mentioned in an encounter with giant natives during a raid while in florida where he says and i'm quoting when we attempted to cross the large lake we came under heavy attack from many giant indians concealed behind trees okay most likely these were of the calusa indians that i just referenced there calusa indians were, were known to be unusually fierce unusually large they went around buck naked um they were known to be cannibals headhunters you name a evil attribute they pretty much had it okay um, these are not descendants of the seminole indians or the mikasukis which were actually indians that were driven into florida later after the calusas and perich what killed the Clusinians? What killed them were the, were the diseases they had never been exposed to that the conquistadors brought with them. They had no natural immunity. This is what killed a lot of the, the Indian tribes, obviously, that, that in America, or greatly, greatly, greatly reduced their numbers. Okay? And now, not only that, but what also killed, well, the actual wars that they got into with the conquering, you know, conquistadors, or, or then when um, America was... was um, started to be habit inhabited okay uh these were you know it was a combination of things that killed them off but one of the main things are the diseases that the explorers brought into the new world that the indians had no immunity to okay so anyway let's go forward here um we came under heavy attack from many giant indians concealed behind trees some of our men were wounded in the conflict for which the good armor they wore did not avail the indians we had so far seen are all archers they go naked confirming what i just said are large they're of a large body and appear at a distance like giants they are of admirable proportions and of great activity and strength the bows they use are thick as the arm of 11 or 12 palms in length which they discharge at 200 paces with so great precision that they miss nothing in okay so going forward in 1539 hernando de soto followed in Navarrese's footsteps sailing nine ships into tampa bay as they ventured inland they encountered various tribes each with a giant that reigned as their chief which was very, very you'll see is very very common okay for protection the conquistadors took these chiefs hostage i don't know how in the world you're gonna take a giant hostage i guess they had enough numbers evidently and maybe enough weaponry for protection the conquistadors took these chiefs hostage and called them guests well i guess that's how they got away with it when the natives realized becoming guests meant being turned into slaves, the local tribes, led by Chief Kapafi of the Apalachee, not Apache, but Apalachee, sparked an uprising. After weeks of warfare, the chief was finally captured in a battle near what would become Tallahassee. 
Kopafi was described as a man of monstrous proportions. Hernando de Soto's encounters with giants continued as he pushed further inland in 1539, traveling with more than 600 men and 200 horses. Okay, so if you've got that many men and, and you're able to encompass a giant, obviously you can take it. He trekked through North Florida and the southern swamps of Georgia in the landlocked crossroads of western Alabama before dying of fever near the western banks of the Mississippi. And a lot of this is, there's links to that you can actually see that this is actually a real narrative. There's, there's links you can click on here is what I'm saying. Uh, Rodrigo Rangel, DeSoto's private secretary, wrote a diary detailing the expedition. The new lands they explored were ruled by the giant Native American Tuscaloosa, which is, I guess, where we probably get Tuscaloosa from. In, um, was that Alabama? or I don't know, Mississippi. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, getting, I'm off on my geography. Anyway, the giant Native American chief Tuscaloosa, and upon the conquistador's arrival, the chief's son fiercely approached DeSoto's cavalry. Rangel writes, and this is a quote, seeing him, the chief's son, we paused, we paused, dumb with amazement. For though but a youth he towered on high, a great limb giant, heads of the tallest men reached only to his breast. After a three-day march, DeSoto and 15 soldiers entered into Tuscaloosa's village and discovered that the chief was a giant ten times mightier than his son. And there's a link to that there. Uh, and turned out to be the tallest and most handsomely shaped Indian they saw during all their travels. This chief, Tuscaloosa. After a few days of watching colorful war dances, Tuscaloosa was persuaded to join DeSoto on their quest toward Mobile. While on the trail, two of DeSoto's soldiers turned up missing. And the returning scouts returned to warn DeSoto about the many Native Americans that had gathered for rebellion. DeSoto, brave and defiant, approached the town and its high walls. A welcoming committee, um, a welcoming committee of painted warriors clad in robes of skins and headpieces with vibrantly colored feathers came out to greet them. DeSoto entered the town with his most trusted soldiers. And also he had Tuscaloosa and the chief's entourage. The Spaniards stood in a piazza surrounded by a stream of foreign colors and fluttering sounds from here DeSoto saw some 80 houses within the village several of them were described as large enough to hold at least 1,000 people unknown to DeSoto at the time was more than 2,000 Native American warriors stood in concealment behind these walls after some of the chief chiefs of the town uh, after some of the chiefs from the town joined him Tuscaloosa withdrew into the village the, the giant Tuscaloosa, withdrew into the village, warning DeSoto with a severe look to leave at once. Under a hail of arrows, DeSoto and most of his men retreated from the village. After regrouping and devising their strategy, the Spaniards gained entry to the village, and then they killed the chief's giant son, set fire to the buildings, and massacred the city's inhabitants. They, they, these guys, you know, they... Uh, you know, you can't accuse them of not being brave. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, they're going after, I don't know, I mean, maybe there was only the two giants, but still. It's, anyway, despite the death of his son and overall carnage left in the wake, Tuscaloosa did escape. Riding deep into the unknown lands, DeSoto and his men marched to capture him, but the giant chief disappeared. And pursuing the Spaniards, and the pursuing Spaniards found only abandoned cities with massive mounds. And you have to understand, this is all documented history that the conquistadors were, were commissioned to document multiple first-hand accounts. Okay, and here's a here's an actual, um, there's pictures that go along with this in the PDF, and here's an actual, there's, there's many, many pictures that support what we're talking about today. Um, now, in 1519, Alonzo Alvarez de, 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 de Pinida, the Pinada, I'm sorry. Anyway, there's a lot of names I'm probably going to butcher. Alonzo Alvarez de Pinida mapped the lands along the Gulf Coast. And here's a map of his journey, his route in 1519. You can see, I guess it maybe started in Jamaica, went around Cuba, went up Florida's um, west coast, went, you know, around the, uh, you know, by 
modern-day Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, and uh, Alabama, and then ended in Texas around the Corpus Christi area. Okay. So, in 1519, um, Pineda mapped the lands along the Gulf, Gulf Coast, strategically marking the various rivers and bays, noticeable landmarks, and porting areas, all which belonged to the King of Spain. Well, supposedly. They kind of claimed it, okay? And a lot of this, too, was for documentation of navigation and of landmarks and to say, hey, we're the first ones here, we're planting our flag, we own this type of deal. After covering the coastlines from Florida to as far as Tampaco, Mexico, Pineda sailed back to the mouth of the Mississippi River. Pineda was the first Spanish explorer to venture up the mighty Mississippi, and he reports finding a large settlement of native villages inhabited by giants and remember these are different dudes all documenting the same different thing dynamic which are different giants in different areas okay different famous fame famous spanish conquistador explorers all finding the same things in different places he reports finding a large settlement of native americans inhabited by giants after the giants proved to be friendly Panita and the crew settled among them to rest and make repairs. Panita detailed the abundance of gold found in the river and how the natives wore plenty of gold engraved ornaments. He also noted that other giants, the tribes, also had a race of tiny pygmies as well. Now, remember what I said, in Lake Okeechobee, they have found mounds where they dug down and they found the bones of giants and then like they would dig down another layer and they would find the bones of unusually small skeletons with a lot of times elongated heads. So I don't know whether these like Nephilim abomination hybrid creatures you had you had unusually small boned uh, pygmy races with sometimes elongated heads and then you had giants sometimes with elongated heads and maybe there's confirmation here. Panita described the tribe that settled near the Mississippi River as quote a race of giants from 10 to 11 palms in height. As he sailed back to his home base in Jamaica, he made note of the more uh, of more giants like the famed gargantuans of the Karen Kawas encountered on the various islands of the Texas coast. And again, what's cool about this report is that there are so many links you can click on if you want to know about Karakakwas. Well, there's a link you can click on. When Pineda returned, he presented Francisco de Garay, the Spanish governor of Jamaica, with the first maps and the sketches of the entire Gulf Coast. These maps also included Panita's writings about the fantastic race of giants living there. These sketches and writings are known as Garay's Cedula and were archived by the famous Spanish compiler Martin Fernandez de Navarrete. They can be found today by visiting the Archivo General de Indias in Seville, Spain. 20 years after Panita mapped the Gulf, Francisco Coronado marched, so here's another guy, Francisco Coronado marched with a huge expedition across the American Southwest, searching for the legendary seven cities of Siablo, or what we would refer to as El Dorado, I believe the city of gold. While on their conquest, Coronado's expedition crossed paths with several tribes of Indian giants, and again, here's yet one more, Spanish conquistador explorer guy <laughs> finding the exact same thing in different parts of America and or Mexico. Okay, um, He encountered several tribes of Indian giants. We have this information thanks to the writings of Pedro de Castaneda who, ac who accompanied Coronado and wrote a complete and amazing history of the expedition. Now, to me, this gives this so much more credence because you've got different historians, different conquistadors different expeditions that took place in different time periods all documenting and finding the same thing giants in the land okay over and over and over again yet was this taught to us in history book girl i mean was this any of our you'd think it'd kind of be a big deal you know and yet you wonder i got into that thing in recent where they find all of these giant skeletons and they, they've been finding them since you know antiquity 1800s 1900s probably way before that and the smithsonian comes in it's writ written about in local newspapers well, i mean going back to the early 1900s today it's totally sanitized and there's all of these first-hand accounts there's whole books that have been written on this i got one there i'm still trying to get through it the smithsonian cover-up okay 
commonplace knowledge, but it, it you know, all of this is suppressed. It doesn't fit the Darwinian narrative. And it would confirm the Bible. They don't want any of that. They want this asinine Darwinian narrative propagated, this godless that we just evolved out of the primordial goo. So, always some kind of satanic agenda afoot. Um, a fascinating tale concerning giants found in Castaneda's book details the journey made by Hernando de Alcoron, Al, Alarcon, Alarcon. Low on provisions, a frantic Coronado sent Alarcon, yeah, Alarcon, to find a river that could bring supplies more easily to the Spanish output outposts along the California-Mexican coast. After nearly destroying his ships and missing the waiting party at the rendezvous, at the rendezvous point, Al Alcoron haphazardly floated up the mouth of the murky Colorado River. He and his men became the first Europeans to fight the rough rapids as he brought his fleet up into the heart of the Colorado River, reaching as far as the lower reaches of the Grand Canyon. While coasting up the river, he and his men came upon a settlement of an estimated 200 giant warriors. These giants, amazed by foreign intruders on the riverbanks, were ready to attack, but Al Al Alarcon diffused the situation by making peace and offering gifts, which eventually won them over. These giants were later categorized with the prevailing tribes of the area as being Cocopa Indians. A thousand more members of the giant tribe were discovered and reported further upstream. Um... <laughs> Over and over and over and over again, we're seeing this, okay? Uh, in, in documented historical accounts of America and Mexico, discoveries of giants have also been reported in Mexico. The Dominican friar Diego Duran is responsible for writing some of the earliest Western books on the history and the culture of the Aztecs. His family moved from Spain to Mexico City when he was very young, which allowed him to grow up around the remaining natives of Mexico. While attending school, he was frequently frequently exposed to Aztec culture. Then, under the colonial rule of Spain, he continued to study and travel within the remaining city-states of the Aztec Empire. In Texacoco, he learned to speak and read the native Aztec language. By winning the Aztec's trust, he was able to gain access to a vast amount of knowledge concerning the history of pre pre-Columbian Mexico. His writings are some of the oldest known surviving texts that give us actual first-hand um, narratives from the ancient Aztecs, right from the horse's mouth, because he spent 32 years among the Aztecs, Aztecs gathering information, learning how to read ancient native hieroglyphics, and interviewing old shamans, scholars, um, Okay, interviewing old shamans. Scholars regard Duran's work as extremely important. Here's another. So there's yet one more historian that are, that are going to confirm this narrative. In the history of the Indies of New Spain, he exhaustively describes the history of Mexico from its mysterious ancient origins up to the conquest and occupation by the Spaniards. In these writings, the Aztecs were not shy when it came to talking about giants. But Duran didn't need to hear or read about them. He could see them. While living in Mexico, he came in contact with the giant Indians on several occasions. He saw them firsthand. And now there, there's also like a, uh, a picture of some of the ancient Aztec um, art forms. It, this is in like a, uh, oh, it's, some, it's, like a, it's like a clay tablet with a very intricate carving in it. And in the carving, you see what appears to be a giant, I would say, if you looked at body mass, probably four times, twice as, no, if, if, the, if he stood up, probably two and a half to three times taller than an average human, four to five times an average human size, and it's showing humans interacting with this giant, and obviously these giants tended to gravitate to the position of leadership, you know, where they could probably have the benefits of all of the minion humans around them 
doing their very well. And I believe this is why a lot of the times you, you see like the Aztec cultures and the Mayans degenerating into human sacrifice and, you know, cutting the hearts out of babies and eating them and stuff like that, which is what they used a lot of these truncated pyramids for, where they would bring up the human sacrifices and, um, you know, basically just sacrifice human after human after human on these truncated pyramids to their gods. And many times I would imagine the giants were actually there present and, and would probably, you know, benefit from that directly. Okay, because this is what you always see. And then you see cannibalism and these types of things. And then these nations, these, these uh, nations, because you reap what you sow, they get wiped out a lot of times where, you know, sometimes there's no trace of them. Sometimes some of their um, descendants live on. But the, but the actual nations themselves get, get wiped out. And this is what you see a lot. So anyway, going forward here, um, in these writings, the Aztecs were not shy about when it came to talking about giants, but Duran didn't need to hear or read about them. He could see them. Um, while living in Mexico, he came in contact with the giants on several occasions. Writing about these encounters, he says emphatically, quote, it cannot be denied that there have been giants in this country. I can affirm this as an eyewitness, for I have met men of monstrous stature here i believe that there are many in mexico who will remember as i do a giant indian who appeared in a procession of the feast of corpus christi in other words he was in the procession of this grand parade they were having or whatever he appeared dressed in yellow silk and a halberd at his shoulder and a helmet on his head and he was of all three feet taller than any other of the others that's a quote from his writings. And here's a picture, and they don't say anything about this picture. It's one of the most compelling pictures I've ever seen. I included it in here. It looks really legitimate. It does not look photoshopped to me. And it is a picture of a giant skull. Okay. And it's not, the jawbone's not intact. It's just the, it's just the um, skull mandible being removed. And it's four, appearing to be four Caucasian men probably in Mexico, that have excav excavated this skull. And they are looks like they're pulling this thing uphill. It's on a cart. It looks to be, I mean, obviously this isn't modern. I don't know how old the picture is. But um, they're pushing this thing uphill. The skull, oh man, if I had to estimate its weight, I don't even know. The skull itself, and I'm talking with, with the jawbone removed, probably is a good i mean i'm comparing this to the men that are pushing it probably and it depends on the bone density but i would estimate two to three hundred pounds and this is without the mandible you might want to check this thing out it does not look photoshopped this looks like a legitimate picture to me and but again this is the stuff that once the smithsonian gets any kind of wind of they swoop in and these, and these artifacts turn up missing. They either buy them out or these people turn up dead. They will even kill people. People have died over not surrendering these types of things. Over the, Why? This doesn't, this confirms the Bible and it doesn't fit in with a Darwinian narrative that they're trying to brainwash everybody into believing. So anyway, that's a side note there. Um, I don't even know why this picture is in this, this report, but it, it, I mean, obviously, I wish they would have went into detail on this picture um but obviously we're talking about giants so yeah now going forward here um during his 32 years among the aztecs duran also interviewed many old indians knowledgeable from their ancient ways and traditions of the people from all these sources he learned about the giants bernando de Sauagun and joseph de acosta two other notable historians of about the same period also knew about a tribe of giants who once occupied central mexico but Duran's book offers us the best and most complete account. Duran writes that according to the Aztecs, the giants, the giants and bestial people of average size once had all this land to themselves. Then in AD 902, six tribes from the Tecloacan, which is found in the north and near the region of La Florida, began arriving in Mexico. 
They soon took possession of the country. A seventh tribe, the Aztecs, were brothers to these people, but they came to live here 301 years after the arrival of the others. When these six tribes had settled, Duran continues, they recorded in their painted books the type of land and the kind of people they found here. These books show two types of people, one from the west of the snow-covered mountains toward Mexico and the other from the east. Those from the first region, I guess the west, the Ch Chimit... Chichimex, the Chichimex, and the people from the east were the giants. The Quian name. They were called the Quian name, the giants, which means men of great stature. The Chichimex on the side of Mexico were brutal, savage men, and they were called Chichimex because they were hunters. They lived among the peaks and in the harshest places of the mountain where they led a bestial existence. They were like, you know you know, cavemen or whatever. They had no human organization but hunted food like beasts of the same mountain and went stark naked without any covering on their private parts. Now, you see this a lot where you see demon-possessed vessels of Satan or giants, these types of people walked around buck naked. You know, it's it's one of the things that you'll see a lot when you, you see a, a, just a vessel of Satan like that, okay? Um, when the new nations, and what does that say for nudist colonies, you know? <laughs> And when the new nations came, these savage people showed no resistance or anger, but rather awe. They fled toward the hills, hiding themselves. The newly arrived people, seeing then that the land was left unoccupied, chose at will the best places to live in. The other people who were found on the east side were said to have been giants. These were enraged at the coming of the invaders and tried to defend their land. These giants lived no less beastily than the Chichimex, as they had abominable, abominable customs and ate raw meat from the hunt and with the blood as well. And we're not supposed to eat the blood with the meat. That's what the Bible says. Okay, And I'm sure they were eating raw meat with the blood in it. Okay, In certain places of that region, enormous bones of giants have been found, which I myself have seen dug up at the foot of cliffs many times. These giants flung themselves from precipices while fleeing from the Cholotecs and were killed. The Cholotecs have been extremely cruel to the giants, harassing them, pursuing them from hill to hill, even from valley to valley, until they were destroyed. Listen, I, I, <laughs> that's fine. You know what did what did God send the uh, when when He sent the, um, when the when the Jews finally came in to possess the Promised Land after the one generation had passed away? They were to show no mercy to the giants. They were to kill every man, woman, child, and many times even the beasts because everything had been defiled. This is what happens when you have. A society where hybrids and giants and these types of creatures end up prevailing. This is why God wants to put them in our midst. In this, or not God, but Satan wants to put them in our midst. For that very reason. Because they know that these types of creatures, just their very presence, will start to degrade and defile humanity. So this is why God said, when they went into the promised land, kill every man, woman, beast, child, the whole nine yards. Because... Most of the time, they'd even defiled the animals. And sometimes, don't even take any possession of things from these cities because everything was cursed. You look at the story of Achan on that one. that It brought a whole curse on, the, on Israel. So, yeah, this is, this is how serious of an issue this can be. Um, okay, going further. Quote, even if we detain the reader, oh, that was the end of quote, I'm sorry. Even if we detain the reader a little, I should like to tell the manner of which the people of Cholula and Tlaxacala annihilated that evil nation. This was done by treason and deceit. They pretended to want to have peace with the giants, and after having assured them of their goodwill, they invited them to a great banquet. An ambush was prepared. Some men slyly robbed the guests of their shields, clubs, and swords. The Choluatecs then appeared and attacked. The giants tried to defend themselves, and as they could not find their weapons, it is said that they tore branches from trees with the same ease as one cuts a turnip. And in this way they defended themselves valiantly, but finally all were killed. I'm sure they outnumbered them, and, and they had weapons, and they prepared an ambush. So they were able to kill all these giants. Hey, more power to them. You know, these are vessels of Satan here. Bur... Bernardino, Bernardino de Saugun, who arrived in the Americas in 1523, 
became the foremost authority in his time on the pre-conquest Aztec culture. So we're looking at historian after historian after historian here that is documenting everything that we're talking about today here in different time periods, in different places, and they're all saying the same thing, essentially. Just different versions. He mentions in his 12-volume history on Central America that the giants of Quinemetan built both the Teohucan and the Chuloa. In his history of the Indies, Joseph de Acosta tells a story of the giants very similar to Duran's, but he also adds this eyewitness account. And here's an actual letter of it. I mean, it's written in, a, I imagine, Spanish or some variation of that. And, um, but anyway, it says, When I was in Mexico, this is from the letter, When I was in Mexico in the year of our Lord, 1586, they found one of those giants buried in one of our farms, which we call Jesus del Monte of whom they brought a tooth to be seen, which was, without augmenting, was as big as the fist of a man. Remember how I said big that skull was that I give you a picture of? I could see that being as big as the skull of a man, or the fist of a man. And, a, and this is one tooth as big of a fist of a man. And according to this, all the rest was proportionable, which I saw and admired at his deformed greatness. <laughs> his deformed greatness. We must not hold this of the giants to be strange or of a fable. For at this day we find dead man's bones of incredible bigness. <laughs> incredible bigness. Bernal Diaz del Castillo marched as a swordsman in the army under Hernan Cortez during the conquest of Mexico. After surviving these expeditions, he lived to be an old man and wrote what is regarded to be an exceptionally accurate narrative of the famous campaign. His book would become to be known as The True History of the Conquest of New Spain. That was the name of the book. Another, yet another book, another historian saying the same stuff. Um, unfortunately, Diaz died before seeing his book published. Fifty years later, the manuscript was found in a Madrid library and finally published in 1632. The book provides an eyewitness account of the conquest of Mexico. See, back then they didn't have to worry about Darwinism. Darwinism hadn't been concocted yet. So there was no real agenda to suppress this type of information. You know? Anyway, um, but it was finally published in 1632. It, it provides an eyewitness account of the conquest of Mexico and remains one of the most significant sources documenting the collapse of the Aztec Empire and the Spanish conquest of Mexico. Diaz recounts the history of the now-defeated Tlaxcatec Indians, mentioning a race of enormous giants that had once inhabited their land. During these encounters, Diaz even uh, had the chance to examine firsthand evidence of this long-forgotten race. He writes, quote, They said their ancestors had told them that very tall men and women with huge bones had once dwelt among them. But because they were a very bad people with wicked customs, meaning the giants, they had fought against them and killed them, and those of them who remained had died off. And to show us how big these giants had been they brought us the leg bone of one to show us how big these giants had been um which was very thick and the height of an ordinary sized man and that was the leg bone from the hip to the knee i measured myself against it now this is just from the hip bone to the knee okay i measured myself against it and it was as tall as i am and that's just the femur okay that's just the upper leg bone as tall as a man. Um, and he says, and, and he says it was tall as I am, though I am of reasonable height. Meaning he wasn't like a midget. Okay, They brought other pieces of bone of the same kind, but they were rotten and eaten away by the soil. We were all astonished by the sight of these bones and felt certain that there must have been giants in that land. Wow. Here we go again. An Italian scholar from Venice, Antonio... Pigafetti traveled with a famous Portuguese explorer, Ferdinand Magellan. Oh, wow. Magellan. And his crew on their voyage to the Indies. During the expedition, Pigafetti became Magellan's assistant and kept an accurate journal that detailed the various encounters with the native giants. In Magellan's voyage, a narrative of the first circumnavigation, there are numerous references to giants. 
Pigafelli amusingly writes, quote, We had been two whole months in this harbor without sighting anyone, when one day, without anyone expecting it, we saw a shore on shore, a huge giant who was naked and who danced and leaped and sang, all the while throwing sand and dust on his head. Our captain ordered one of the crew to walk toward him, telling this man also to dance and leap and sing as a sign of friendship. <laughs> Interesting approach. This he did and led the giant to a place by the shore where the captain was waiting. And when the giant saw us, he marveled and was afraid and pointed to the sky, believing we came from heaven. He was so tall that even the largest of us came only midway between his waist and his shoulder. Um, though throughout Pigafelli, Pigafetti's narrative, the giant Indians repeatedly point to and ask if the conquistadors had come from the sky. That might have been one of their trump cards, why they were able to gain favor with the giants. They probably came dressed in, you know, their armor, their, cra their, 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 their fancy hats on ships and things of this nature, technology that maybe even the giants had never seen, and they were awestruck, evidently, even though they were much shorter in stature. So, um, their fathers, the giants' fathers, the fallen angels, had most likely told them they came from the sky, and this is why the giants were looking at these conquistadors and saying, wow, I've never seen anything like you, you guys are all, whatever, did you come from the sky? Okay, so... I'm speculating, but I'm I'm thinking that this is why this all happened, okay? Um, this is a very interesting side note that ties well into the ancient astronaut theory. Now, I've done many, many teachings on ancient astronaut theory. Basically, that is where, which is the which is really the crux of the coming deception. When the aliens make their big debut, people that have been abducted are told this. It's, it's in all type of sci-fi movies. You go to Mission to Mars... If you want to see the probably the greatest example of this, go to Mission to Mars on the internet, YouTube, key in ending scene, and it shows ancient astronaut theory where essentially this planet was seeded with human life millions of years ago by the aliens, and we evolved into what we are now. Okay? Um, there are be benevolent creators. They created us, and they're our little science project. We are their little science project. And we've messed things up so bad that now they're going to have to come back and police their little science project because we've met, messed things up so bad. And then once they've corrected that and once we unite with them, then we will be as gods like them, although on a lesser level. And we can go from the old world order into the new world order. And this is the big carrot they're going to be holding out to humanity. Okay? So, again, I've done many teachings. You can just key in astronaut in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. You'll find those teachings. Um, why in the world would they ask if they were from the skies if they had never seen anyone from the sky? Great point. Pigafetti, Pigafetta was among the surviving 18 men who returned to Spain in 1522. The other 240 men of the expedition all died, including Magellan. Around the same time Magellan was having his difficulties, the famed Italian explorer Amerigo Vespucci, Vespucci was charting the Caribbean islands off the coast of Venezuela. Amerigo, for whom of one-third of the world would later be named, this is how America became America. Okay, it was known as, okay, North America, South America. Who was that named after? It was named after Amerigo Vespucci. Did you know that? That's where that's where it got its name from. So Americo Vespucci, another famed Italian explorer, was charting the Caribbean islands off the coast of Venezuela. His name, Amerigo, for whom one-third of the world would later be, the, be named, wrote about the giants as well. He encountered in the modern-day island of Curaco. Curac. Curacao. Yeah, Curacao. Curacao. Here's what he said. Vespucci, or he's documenting him. Vespucci writes, Amerigo Vespucci writes, we landed to see if we could find fresh water and imagining that the island was not inhabited because we saw no people. Going along the shore, we beheld very large footprints of men in the sand and we judged if the other members were of corresponding size that they must be very big men. Vespucci 
um, continues the story writing about their nervous trek inside the dense island jungle interior. We discovered a trail and set ourselves to walk on it. Uh, two leagues and a half inland. We met with a village of 12 houses in which we did not find anyone except five women. Now remember, this is the guy that they named North and South America after, okay? This is his first name account, okay? And before that was Magellan, and then you have all the other guys we listed, okay? So, um, we did not find anybody. They, they found a village of 12 houses in which they did not find anyone except five women two old ones and three girls so lofty in stature that we gazed on them in astonishment here's an actual uh very very old map of this this island that they were on here if you want to see um vespucci and his men were invited to eat and drink while doing so they formed a plan to kidnap three of the exotic girls why on god's green earth would anybody want to kidnap giant women Ay ay ay. Anyway, but their plans dissolved quickly when the giant men of the village returned. <laughs> oh boy, I would have loved to have seen their expressions. In a state of anxiety, Vespucci recalls. Vespucci recalls, while we were thus plotting, meaning plotting to steal the women, 36 men arrived who entered the house where we were drinking. And they were of such lofty stature that each of them was taller when upon his knees than I was standing erect. Men that were so well built, it was a famous sight to see them. They were of stature of giants in their great size and the proportion of their bodies, which corresponded to their height. When the men entered, some of our fellows were so frightened that at that moment they thought they were done for. The warriors had bows and arrows and tremendous oar blades finished off like swords. When they saw our small stature, they began to converse with us to learn who we were and whence we came. What I'm not understanding, how can they converse with them? I mean, do they know the language? I mean, come on. Anyway, we gave them soft words for the sake of amity. And replied to them in sign language. Oh, okay, that's how they were. Replied to them in sign language that we were men of peace. <laughs> and that we were out to see the world. So evidently they were able to communicate with them. In fact, we judged it wise to part from them without controversy. And so we went by the same trail from which we had come. They stuck with us all the way to the sea until we disembarked. Um, Vespucci and his company made it safely back to their boats and fired off a few shots from their cannons. The frightened giants scattered back into their villages. And again, this is, this is how they could, as big as the giants were, they didn't have the technology that the conquistadors had. And so when they would see things like this and then maybe see the way they were dressed and the way they presented themselves, they would think, okay, well, you know, um, these might be beans from the sky or something, you know type of thing the frightened giants then scattered scattered back into their villages and vespucci sailed away he promptly named curacao the isle of the giants and that's all we have for today so i mean again this one study if you had never heard any other studies i've ever done should be enough to really 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 get you thinking that there is some serious validity to what we're talking and about the agenda that is afoot. And again, I don't know ever when they're going to take over the internet. Um, uh, Obama, the, the internet is going, going to be turned over uh, very soon. In fact, that's one of the other stories that um, I'm going to be getting released in my next newsletter. Internet has been taken hostage by the New World Order. Uh, the globalists have finally obtained control of the internet. So again... Obama is attempting to do as much damage before he gets out of office as he possibly can. Obama to ratify climate treaty by himself. Um, I mean, it's just one thing after another. Homeland Security, take charge of the elections. The UN is going to have all types of observers at the polling stations. I oh, mean, the, the fix is in. They're doing all of these things to ensure that they can continue the New World Order under Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it's all going to pan out. I'm saying this is their plans. There are things that I think, you know, we should be praying about. Whatever they, whatever is important to Satan is all I'm saying is what I don't want. I don't want that agenda, okay, put into position. And this is what we're seeing here. So, 
um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for letting us come together, Lord, uh, to do another teaching. Uh, Lord, I don't know when the last teaching I will be able to do is, is going to come, but I just pray that you bless the body of work that's been done here. You bless all of the um, alternative researchers out there that are trying to get the truth out, all of my listeners, Lord God, that are trying to help other people understand the truth and the deception that is coming. And I pray to God that they will be used in a mighty way in the days and times to come as a beacon of light and truth so that others um, can understand, Lord, and make sense of the coming great deception that is afoot. I pray to God that, that you would just annihilate and destroy the plans of the wicked according to thy will regarding what is coming, regarding all these evil agendas that we have exposed today, God that the truth would come forth, that your name would be glorified, that many would actually be saved as a result of the truth that you will bring forth through, I believe, primarily your remnant, Lord. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. I pray you bless my listeners in the body of Christ, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.